This is Not Your Father's Fundraising Podcast, a podcast about, you guessed it, nonprofit fundraising. This isn't the first podcast about it, but definitely not like any others you've listened to. This is a podcast for fundraisers by fundraisers. No boring charts or the same stale best practices you've heard for years. No ideas that only work in theory here. No concepts from people who aren't in the same trenches as you are every single day. Each week, you'll get practical strategies and tips to craft messages that engage donors and raise more money. This isn't smoke and mirrors. Everything has been pressure tested in the real world. Plus, you can start using them as soon as the episode ends. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Thomas and Steve Thomas. Hello. Welcome to Not Your Father's Fundraising Podcast. This is episode 27. Wow. How to tell if your fundraising is working or not working. Or not working. Either way, we're into positive reinforcement along with... Um, diagnosing your symptoms. That's right. That's right. I'm Ryan Thomas, Vice President at Oneicity. And I'm Steve Thomas, uh, CEO and one of the founding partners of Oneicity. We founded this podcast because uh, fundraising just doesn't stop. We, I mean... At least the way we do it. Yeah, at least the way we do it. I don't know. That, that's true. Um, you know, we were even doing it over this weekend and all of last week. It's just... It's a... It's a treadmill that you just, you can't really step off. Mostly and fun. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. yeah mostly fun. Yeah. yeah. Just a never ending one. When and we get to the, try this, I've got something to talk about in that area. So oh. remind, remind me that to, to connect those dots. Okay. Well, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it's going. And then maybe we don't want you to connect <laughs> the dots. I mean, I don't, right. you know, who knows? Nothing to see here. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Keep going. But we, we started the podcast because we talked fundraising all the time. Even in places that people wished we had hopped off the treadmill, <laughs> uh, we hadn't hopped off the treadmill. So we started a podcast, and uh, now you have a spot at the table and can listen. I was about to say talk uh, with us, but you can't because it's a one-way street on the podcast. However, we do have a podcast at winnicity.com where it becomes a two-way street. You can send us questions, comments, proof that you gave us a five-star review. On because that's how they get the cash, right? Yeah, that's how you. That's how the uh, the <laughs> cash and um, and it's you know, a the, rebate, not a payoff. That's true. Okay. Yeah, Let's it's check it. it's a it's a rebate or a credit. Mm. Any of those complicated accounting systems but, that gets us out of offering <laughs> cash, but and is not illegal. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get thrown in jail, but you give us proof of a five star review, and we Ooh. have something for you. That's a win. Everybody wins. Yeah. So send that to podcast at oneicity.com and um, give us your five-star reviews on Apple, wherever you did it. Subscribe over there. Like and subscribe if you're watching on video. And give us some thumbs up. We're a little short on thumbs up. But but we're also... The thumbs up button, not just at your computer screen. Oh, that's true. But we also don't have any thumbs down. So it's... Oh, that's... Yeah. it's just no clicking. So it's all right. We're taking it. It's it's okay. I like not having any thumbs down. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, we started Oneicity more than 15 years ago yeah. and have a ton of people on our team who measure the time in the fundraising game on the fundraising treadmill in multiple decades. And we don't, we don't get into the math, but 
lots of seasoned pros and uh, really love doing that. That's what gets us up in the morning and why we don't hop off the treadmill. So again, five-star reviews, proof to the email, along with questions. We like to do mailbags. Podcast at Winnicity.com. Podcast at Winnicity.com. And then like and subscribe in the bottom left. The thumbs up is down there as well. Really just interact with us so we can get to more people and get on more people's phones. It's really what we're getting at. I'm in. The first thing we do every week is pull out something that we've seen in the wild mail call. Usually it's direct mail. Sometimes it's email. Sometimes it's a billboard we took a picture of with a phone. But something we've encountered in real life that has some application tie-in to what we do here. Or that we can force into having an application. True. I mean... Sometimes. It's a one, as we already established, it's a one-way street. So no one can really stop us from tying that in. We're in. It's got to work. So what's yours? Okay. So we, when we began this podcast, we never set out to talk about sloths. But we kept running into these moments where we were trying to make an explanation. And I don't know, it was you or me, came up with probably one of the most random um, uh, yeah. illustration example kinds of things that which we, was the point we didn't we, want it yeah. to be something that you listener does and we're criticized that's a stupid business which model we, which we figured was not you know that not the, conducive yeah, there's not a lot of sloth sanctuaries so by making that up we were on safe ground well I just gotta tell you I have been seeing sloths everywhere and 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 I was I was scrolling through my feed. You mean around the at, internet? Not, yeah, on the internet. Yeah, not at home. Um, <laughs> just crawling with sloth. They're everywhere. <laughs> so Somebody should start a sanctuary for those so, guys. Come on. Have you ever seen a sloth in real life? Not full bodied. I've seen a couple photos. So I've and then I've seen Zootopia the movie. I I found this this video clips video clips what got my attention and it's a it's a sloth crossing the road. And it, it is really creepy looking. Um, I mean, they have it, really long claws. They have long, and it's kind of doing this, you know. But the police, there are police that are blocking off the traffic because the sloth is not moving very quickly, as they want as to do. Want to do. <laughs> and so there are these these cops standing around, you know, in their vests and they're guarding, killing time, killing time, and the sloth is raw. Looks like slow motion. And I'm, I, I literally am watching this thinking, there are a whole lot more sloths in the news than I ever thought possible. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. I, this is some one of those confirmation bias things. Mm-hmm. Looked it up. It's probably clustering, uh, what's it called? Yeah, clustering illusion. It, it's, that, it's that thing that the more you think about something, somehow then the more you begin to see it. Which is what leads us into so many mistakes and judgment. When we're when we are focused on something, we then encounter it no more than normal, but we notice it. Mm-hmm. Gets and, picked up by the brain. Yeah, and so I did that to myself. Caught myself. There are no more sloths than the news and on video. They're not trending. Suddenly. They're not. They're not trending. Um, but in my brain, they were trending. And so my in the wild is be careful about what you think about. You'll begin to think about and begin to think they're more present than they really are, which can lead you to some bad judgments. 
Um, I'll give you the link because it is hilarious to watch this sloth make a slow, and it almost looks like it's swimming across the pavement with these big long arm things it's doing. Anyway. Yeah, so, they aren't made to be on the ground. Not built for speed, baby. They, no. they are, yeah, they won't make Fast and Furious 8, 9, or 10. Any of them. Even though they're family. That's right. They're not friends. They're family. They're family However, family. Okay, you got to be fast to be in that family. That's what I got. All right. Mine is a letter from an organization locally that I like to support. And some things I'd, I'd change, but not the point. Uh, they're telling a story about a mom and kid that they help at their shelter. And about... 80% of the way down is oh, yeah. a clip or a screenshot of handwriting on lined notebook paper. However, there is no There's nothing about, about it. That in there? Nothing says, oh, look. Little Jimmy it, wrote this. Well, Julie. And, and you can't tell if... It's supposed to be written by the kid, the child, or supposed to be written by the mom. Because if it's supposed to be written by the child, I have a, I have a hard time with it saying advocate. Well, it's not a kid's not handwriting. That, you know, an eight-year-old kid. Shouldn't be. Nope. So, interesting. The issue, in a vacuum, that's a good idea. We have a handwritten note on notebook paper from someone a donor has helped. Yeah. Awesome, and it does break up a big mm-hmm. a big piece of copy. There's a right. yeah, there's a ton of copy, and it does break it up. However, it then just I I didn't even finish the letter, does or I, be, I finished enough to make sure there wasn't an explanation, but it doesn't say. Oh, it doesn't lead into it. No, at it, all, nothing, or or even follow up on it. Graphic designer or they the print sl- person just found slammed found a spot there. and tossed it in there. Oh, it would work okay just skipping that. Yeah. Yeah, it would be okay. I So, there's no in-the-box application except know that something that can sound really good in a creative meeting and truly be a good idea can end up tanking, at least for me, making it, it... Well, it doesn't... It, it, it'll make a donor stumble. It's a, Yeah, it's a speed bump in not a good way, and it's going to... That... That's what happens. I, I would bet you dollars to donuts that whatever that means, which I really don't even understand what that means, but um, uh, that that's an internally driven organization mm-hmm. and that yeah. they created themselves because no outsider looked at that and went, oh, yeah, that's an outsider great. would go, well, well, well you need I to say questions. what this is about that. Or, or why are we putting that here? Or Julie wrote this and, about that. Or, and to your point, it, it likely got put in late. Maybe. Which means not everyone oh, that's the has worst. looked at it. Yeah, yeah. The two people who did look at it loved it. No, yes, and, and they, they're just making sure Julie's notebook paper looks right. It's it's a not off kilter. You can see it. Okay, awesome. So don't even when they're a good idea, don't provide speed bumps for a donor. Yeah, yeah. If you're adding something, give it context. So. That's mine because it removed all my emotion. I like <laughs> women and kids stories. 
you know, I, I'm I'm down to sport, and then I spent, you're down to handwriting analysis at that point, right? Yeah. Who oh, I really was. I was like, okay, who could? I mean, because sometimes if we we do things with kids where it's handwriting, yeah. oh, but we absolutely. clean it up a little bit because it also needs to be legible to the donor. It's tricky, and so, I gotta say, they did even. I, it's kind of irritating to me that they didn't either make that completely a yellow legal pad yeah. piece of paper it's or faded blue white or white. Mm. Ungood, un- my opinion. Yeah. So don't provide speed bumps. Provide emotion. Uh, oh, nice. I like that. We'll take it. Yeah. So next is try this. This is something that you can put into place like now. Preferably wait 30 minutes for the episode to end and then do it. But theoretically, you could hit pause as soon as we're done. Jump in. And go do it. Yeah. So what's yours? All right. You ready for this? I, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to see if you can make it if you have, can make it work. Have you noticed everybody who's against me with are you ready for this? They think it's really good. Either that or it's, it's a techno dance tune that they play <laughs> at sports games. <laughs> It is. Oh, one, I can which, hear it. Which that okay, can person? You can you do it? Very nice. Okay. Uh, okay. In 1930, a famed economist, John Maynard Keyes, predicted that within a century, which is only a decade, I was going to say now, that's close, right? No one would work more than 15 hours a week. Okay. That is so brutally wrong. It reminds me of the thing about if you if you laid all the economists end to end in the world, they'd never reach a conclusion. Yeah. Well, is he assuming? He, I you know I machines? think he, he's thinking about um, automation and robots and all that kind of garbage. Okay, everybody, uh, people who have ten hour a week part time jobs work more than fifteen hours a week on that job. That's just one of the sad realities of today. Yeah, that's on-the-clock hours versus worked hours. Well, it's it's just brutal. And so um, one of the the newsletters that I receive is from uh, Eric Barker, which he has a great title of Eric Barker, and the title of his newsletter is Barking Up the Wrong Tree. Okay, that's okay? pretty it's good. It's not bad. That's really good. Um, and he, 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 he mostly, my perception, reviews... Um, Books. He's he's reviewing a book called 4,000 uh, 4, Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Sorry for all the names. We'll we'll put those in the show notes. Um, anyway, this guy uh, Berkman uh, that Barker is referencing is talking about. You know, we're all overwhelmed. Uh, all of us probably work too many hours uh, and don't know what to do about that. And this work from home thing did not help on the number of hours worked. Mm-hmm. Most people's hours worked went off the continued at that level plus then you worked in what your theoretical commute time had been. Mm-hmm. And plus yeah. then then you yell at your kids for interrupting your Zoom. So anyway, um, th- this guy he sums up and gives gives you know four or five things from this book 4000 weeks that uh, Berkman wrote. And one of the things I loved was he talks about deciding what to fail at in advance. And as in, I'm not going to be able to catch all said, four of these or accomplish all of this. There's going to be trade-offs. The real value of any time management technique is that it helps you neglect the right things at the right time. Everything is not urgent in spite of what someone yelling at you might be saying. 
There are some things... Or what my bank says. Yeah. Well, your bank is probably... They're probably right. Um, but but the, the ability to know and process what is really urgent or what is the thing that I have to be able to get done. The only thing that really helped us in, being, in working from home a lot was there were a few people who come to your door and say, at the office and say, have you got a minute? Right? Yeah, the, that's those, true. Those interruptions are brutal and they, they wipe you out and 90% of the time... Amazon just drops it off. They're nothing, right? So um, my try this is l- look at your list and, 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 and you know, check, out, check out the 4,000 Weeks book. Um, the one thing I would say is there's power in deciding here are the things that are not going that that are on my to do list and he he has some things about to do lists and I have a love hate relationship with to do lists, but there are things that can wait re- without regard for what other people are telling you and that if it's your responsibility you literally can decide that put that on the to do put that on the later or never or ain't going to consider that again tomorrow tomorrow or, tomorrow <laughs> or I'm tomorrow gonna, or I'm tomorrow gonna, I'm just going to lie and say oh I don't remember seeing that did I get you know you you know you deal with that on your own ethical terms but the idea of being able to just say I've got to. the other thing he talks about uh, is buffering 20% of your time so that if, if you think about it, and now you schedule your time really tightly. It's one of the things I admire about you is that is that you you use your time wisely. Well, this, guy, this guy would say, take out 20% of that time. Just only schedule or only consider 80% of the time that you're going to put in because the 20% that you buffer, you, you'll, you would, and most I, I hope our listeners would, are, are going to use wisely. So... If you're packed thing to thing to thing to thing and you got the, the full thing, you never have a chance to do the deep thinking where the great mm. value comes from. Yeah. You never have a chance for your intuition or in my world, your Holy Spirit or the, whatever you want to consider. You never have a chance for that to just bubble up. And so um, try this. Decide what you're going to fail at. Go ahead and fail. Take 20% off of your list of things to do. When your boss says you're you know, not doing everything you're supposed to, just send them to me and I'll, I'll send them the book. It'll be great. They'll love it. Yeah, they'll love it. It'll be great. All right, yeah, you landed that. It worked. Good, good. Yeah, that wasn't bad. Okay, I'll take it. My try this is change where you are telling a story. We've hmm. talked a lot about you should be telling a story, how to tell a story, the power of a story, but we haven't talked as much about where to do that. So less in the grocery store line and more at the coffee shop? No. Okay. Good point. Okay. Um, in your peels, whether it be email, direct mail, uh, are you leading with a story-related lead? Well, there you go. Dear so-and-so, I cannot wait to tell you about Susie because if she could meet you on the street, she would give you the biggest hug because of where she is now because of you here's what happened blah 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 blah. if you are leading with the story a lot that's great but maybe try not leading with the story and putting it uh, maybe across a page break or a page turn so at the bottom of page one and they then continuing to page happened? two yeah you got to turn it over and see or in an email 
maybe don't mention the person in the subject line anymore or not anymore, but in this one instance, maybe push them into the third paragraph or maybe even after the ask. Just play with where you're doing that. Not that one way is more effective than the other, but our brains love patterns, but fundraisers don't love patterns because our brains love patterns because they make sense. We don't have to think about them, which means our brains don't think about our fundraising if we hit a pattern. So we have to break a pattern. Yep. Yeah, that's good. So keep telling stories, just change beginning, middle or end where you tell them. And in a newsletter where you are always telling a story in that you are feature section, telling a story, unless it's that newsletter I talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, (laughs) The bad newsletter. Oh my gosh. The thing you can do in a newsletter is adjust the timeline that you're displaying to a donor. Um, My favorite writer and director in TV and movies is Aaron Sorkin and he will never do a movie. And he said this, uh, cradle to grave, meaning the beginning of my movie is going to be the beginning of the story. And then on through, Oh, he does Steve jobs. He, he decided Uh, I'm going to break it up into three interactions. So I'm going to tell his life that way, but it's three interactions. Only this snapshot. And then this snapshot. Oh yeah. Molly's game. Oh yeah. Was, interviews with her lawyer broken up in the narrative and going back and forth. Um, I haven't seen a few good men, but apparently that's also that way. Um, so he, he doesn't tell things cradle to grave except rarely if ever. So in a newsletter, change that up. Maybe start your newsletter story with their success. And that may not seem like as big a deal to you, but wait till you find out why. Yeah, give them the context of why it's a big deal that they've got mm-hmm. a job or that you know they, they have a relationship with their kids. Or mm-hmm. whatever. Start with the end of their story and then work back. Mm-hmm. or Foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah foreshadow- okay. or mm-hmm. start in the middle at this mm-hmm. crucial thing mm-hmm. and then work around it. Play with it, but just be different occasionally and see what happens. Unless your metrics on that test are all bad, then maybe not, maybe do it one more time just to make sure it wasn't a fluke and then move on. Well, one of the things I would say is that, is that sometimes critics of this method or, or people who would say, well, that'll never work. Are they're like, well, donors are distracted. And I'm one of the ones who says people aren't reading their scanning. And so I sort of fall into that camp. The problem is that doesn't take into the into account how Hollywood and Bollywood and all of the other woods out there that are producing media. Big movie. Big movie. They those guys, they know that people are not paying attention and they hook them with narrative. Mm-hmm. So this works. If it doesn't work, it's probably sorry. Because you're doing it probably wrong. Probably did it badly. Yeah. Yeah, because if you do it right, people are hanging on the edge of their seats. How did this happen? Who's What's going to happen next? How did he end up in that dumpster? How did this come out? Mm-hmm. Why is it a big deal he has a relationship with his daughter? I mean, all of those I just, things. I got to know. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to be a part of that. I want to do that for the next Jane I'm or not, the next Eddie. Yeah, or Julie over there on your... your well, she's busy writing hey, notes. Writing little notes. Check yes or no. <laughs> All right. So regardless of whether you're doing a test or you're doing your regular fundraising, you want to know if it works, if it's working. 
And or you should want to know. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> if you don't want to know, different story. Good for you. It's a different episode. Congratulations on your Murdoch grant. Um, <laughs> they only come around so many. That's years. true. They, they it's not all the time. Them. Yeah. But to check and see can be difficult because if you have a database or if you don't have a database, you either have too much information or not enough. And you're not sure where to look. Mm-hmm. And as you and I have talked about and explained to clients, there are a lot of metrics that are helpful, but only in a certain perspective. And if you're also looking at this other metric, they kind of all tie together. So we just thought this episode would be helpful to talk through. If you want to know, are we doing the right thing or maybe do we need to start doing different things? Here is where we advise people when they ask us those kinds of questions. Here's where we advise people to look. Well, and, and I, I want to say we just came back from a conference yesterday. Oh yeah, 12 hours ago, it seems like. <laughs> and so we had some questions that uh, I don't know. Oh, we you, got some questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were people who were asking uh, about, they were asking some metric questions that I don't know about you, but I was kind of surprised by the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, One of them made me look dumb because I was like, Hold on. I did not expect <laughs> didn't expect you to ask that. Okay, let's back up to 101 if yeah. this is where we're starting. Yeah. And and so uh I I I think it's a a a wonderful place to begin to say, you know, what's the measure, what's the metric? What's the frequency, Kenneth? What's the frequency, Kenneth? Back to Ari. Yep. Okay. So I'll say the all-time if this was David Letterman, this would be the last thing, but we're going to go one to 10. Okay. Number one. Number one is income, cash. Cash in the bank. Dollar bills. Not, yeah. So, so uh, I'll, even, I'll even go so far as to say even there's <laughs> cash is not always cash in some organizations. Mm-hmm. You got it budgeted. You've got, you've got, so, you know, you're ahead against budget, but you're not a, you know, you've spent badly at some point cash in the bank rules, mm-hmm. because no matter all the other metrics we're going to talk about as esoteric and granular as they may be, nothing, none of those will actually help you pay the bills and keep mm-hmm. the cause running and you doing the things you're going to do. And so, um, there is nothing wrong with if you're very small in a startup situation or if you're in a turnaround situation where there's been a little smoke in the cockpit and you know, you're pulling out of it, those are the places you, you're looking at cash. And you, back to the, to the airplane analogy, um, pilots have this thing called bingo fuel, whereas mm-hmm. that's how far we can fly. And if you're in a turnaround or in your startup, if you are in leadership and you do not know how many days of operation you have in the bank, how much we have a thousand dollars that will last X days. If you don't know what that is, you probably are not paying attention to the right metrics. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you get out of that quickly. And there, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. But but that that is the ultimate measure. Mm-hmm. But you want to get out of that as fast as possible because you mean get out of that in that. That isn't where you are starting and oh, ending your day that you're oh, looking that's, at. That's exactly right. You you definitely want to move past that as fast as possible for a variety of reasons. Not a, not the least of which is it will chew you up as mm-hmm. a person inside. And 
in a in a macro sense, the way to move past that is to get to where you, those days of cash, those days of operating expenses, lengthens and lengthens and lengthens. And at a certain point, it's not helpful or interesting that you have that many days on hand because it's it's working. Yeah. And so it, then you then you dive deeper. You open the hood. To look at what's going on. Well said. Okay. Uh, I, I, I remember sitting with a, with a, a leader who was in a, a, a startup-ish kind of situation. And, you know, every month we would celebrate the, we live to fight another day. We you know, made it. We made it through that month. Another one. And then you realize, no, 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 no. Even though the, the dollars aren't necessary, we can't actually put our hands on the dollars because of the process and because of our donors and because of what we've been doing the last few months. I can have some some uh, confidence that that what's coming in is going to be okay. So even if I don't have the cash in the bank, the history, the metrics I've been paying attention to beyond just cash lead me to feel confident this is going to be okay. And then mm-hmm. you can begin to look at the other metrics. All right, that was number one. Cash. Number two... Not all cash is equal and not just in denominations of bills. You've got um, you know, net cash. Uh, I don't know a good way to describe. I mean, net cash is, is your cash, not just your gross, what you're getting, but what you, what you can actually sort of keep on hand. Yeah. So, the, so then it becomes, uh, we don't want to get into. Oh, yeah. We're also not accountants yeah. <laughs> or lawyers. <laughs> Or, or doctors, doctors as much so, as we want to be did not uh, say in a holiday yeah. and express last night either <laughs> so yeah at some point you 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 know very quickly begin to and this usually happens net cash becomes an issue when you begin to do like uh big events or you begin to do some of your early fundraising impacts maybe it's direct mail maybe it's an email maybe it's a campaign maybe it's giving tuesday i don't know whatever you bum, know bum, bum. <laughs> but you're you, you begin to look at okay it cost us this much to do and then we we got this much out because um it it, it really cash in the bank is only good if you get a really good eye on what's going out the door okay that's easy sort of like Cash flow. Just like at home. It's your budget. It's yeah. your it's your household yeah. budget. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But on the fundraising side, a fundraiser always has to have their eye. Even at this at even at this this more rudimentary level, you you have to have your eye, even if you're only concentrating on ca- on your your total cash, cash in the door, you always have to be thinking about what did I spend to get that in the door? Mm-hmm. What did it cost me to get that there? And then the other side of, okay, this is what it cost me to bring that in. You're literally getting into return on investment. Uh, That's ROI. And that's another thing because, again, if you are spending X to get Y and you don't like what X and Y are, you have an ROI problem. Yeah. Okay, so... ROI is one of those things that gets abused and misused, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. And, and what I want to say is um, uh, we, we're, we're going to talk a lot about um, some of these metrics. And one of the things that, it, Ryan, don't let me miss out talking about is we also want to talk about timeline and when to measure and look at this stuff. Because yeah. 
Uh, you can go crazy. Once, once you're past, are we going to go out of business next week? Once you're past that, those fears, then it becomes a matter of when should I evaluate? And ROI is a thing that is easy to evaluate improperly, even using the metric correctly. Mm-hmm. Doing it at the wrong time, doing it too soon. So, um, and, and I want to say ROI, it's really interesting. ROI, uh, the way we do it and, and the way that I believe is most functional, is like, how much did you get? What did you invest to get that? Right? And so it's a relatively simple division. Uh, I looked up a response report. So we had a client who they brought in about $75,000 on a direct mail appeal. It cost them about $10,500 all up to, to do it. I wish it was 10000 because then I could do the math in my head. I did. I intentionally made sure. I'd, and I'm even rounding slightly. So you get about a 7.4 ROI. Okay. So you're dividing, and this is one of those things that makes it really hard on audio, and I just can't imagine people driving off the road if they're listening to this, because it's like... 7.4, that doesn't sound right. 7.14. Oh, 7.14, yeah. okay. Did you notice the difference, that difference? I, I was I was kind of wondering. It's pretty impressive. Anyway, um, so you, do that division. You want to make sure you're doing it the right way. There are some people who want you to do a, uh, who do this weird thing where they want you to take out the, the cost. So it's like they double, they do the net mm-hmm. and then they, then they do the ROI. Yeah. You're, you're dividing using the, almost like the profit. Yeah. You're taking the net and dividing and, and it just, I'm not going to get into arguments over that. I'm just saying it's not helpful. It's not as helpful. And, and more importantly, so let's just say, you know, your CFO decides that's how they're going to do it. Fine. Let's not fight over it, right? Yeah. So it's sort of like I went to the doctor today, and one of the things you, you, you step on the scale and you, you, they weigh you, okay? His scale and my scale don't, don't match. They don't agree. Is that a big thing? No, because he said this is how it changed. I look at my scale. I know how mine changed. You want consistent. Mm-hmm. Accurate is important, but consistent is more important because you're measuring over time. How did this work compared to the previous time? So if your CFO or your board insists you do ROI with some kind of weird chicken chicken guts and glitter kind of a a thing, fine. Just make sure you always, sadly, do it that way. Okay? Um, So yeah, ROI. ROI is is one of the ones that I love because it will port across from events Mm -hmm to a direct mail impact, to an... Everything has a, ROI. A, yeah. So you can do an ROI on almost everything. I'm sure there are some things that it doesn't apply to. Anytime you're doing something internally in the organization, events are the big one that this happens to, is you can never calculate all the costs. Your true... Even our preferred cut-and-dried... ROI is missing a lot of costs because exactly you're pulling people off <laughs> regular job yeah. to help out with the event. Yeah. And you don't, you don't calculate their hours no. and then multiply that by their cost and, and then, or, or what they, and then add to it, what they didn't do that you're going to have mm-hmm. to, you know, somebody's going to have to do, or you're going to be behind up, on. So, so just acknowledge that, but know that as you're going into, if you're comparing ROI and your event planner, it's going, look at a wonderful, this but event. you have 45 yeah, yeah. ROI. Right. So, so okay. compare that. All right. Yeah. Um, that leads me to talk about, there are some old school 
um, uh, direct. Oh, yeah, let's do some you shouldn't pay yeah. attention to. Yeah, so there's some old school direct mail uh, measurements, uh, cost per thousand, and some, and they do net cost per well, thousand and, and cost, gross cost per thousand. And that is now coming back into digital because people have CPM. And exactly. Okay, the problem with that is, um, well, okay, first it's pride and true, blah, blah, blah. But you, the cost per thousand in digital is very different than the cost per thousand in uh, direct mail because one you're printing on paper and the other it's sort of Pixels? imaginary yeah. kind of stuff that it's fairies and unicorns. So ROI though, if you get your income right and you get your expenses right, your ROIs are somewhat mostly pretty comparable. Mm-hmm. So I, that's yeah. why I love ROI. Okay. Let me just keep rolling. Well, I was going to see what is it just cost per thousand that's, that people shouldn't look at that they may be hearing about. I don't know. What else are you thinking about? I wasn't sure. Okay. Well, there's a whole bunch of, there's cost per thousand. Uh, there's gross cost per thousand, net cost per thousand. And there's another one that is escaping me at the moment. I, it, that old school stuff was, was designed to compare various print uh, impacts mm-hmm. against print impacts. And in our world, we don't want to compare it that way. We want to compare lar- larger across channels. Mm-hmm. And but so that, not that you want to say, well, this direct mail beat that event, but you want to, you want to be able to say, you know, gosh, well, let's just keep in mind this event and the cost we know only has a two to one ROI where mm, well, the direct mail piece, it's pretty locked in. There's no yeah, it's soft a, costs. Yeah. The or, costs are all visible and it's at seven to one. Wow. Hmm. Let's just be aware of that. Not saying we're not going to do any events, but let's just be aware of how that stacks up and know that there are more costs on that ROI. Oh, uh, not one you don't want to do, but one you just be aware of is one of the things that we sometimes use that, that compares that we use in print is called marginal ROI, which is where, so you have, you, you almost always have some creative cost if you're using outsiders. So yeah. someone, the writer, yeah, the designer, someone co- charge you a hundred bucks to pre to create this newsletter. And then it costs you a hundred bucks to print it. Well, in the calculating the ROI, you first combine those two, that $100 and $200, and that, that goes into your expenses. You divide mm-hmm. that into your, your uh, income. Well, for a marginal ROI, you take out the creative, and you put it, and you just look at your production or postage charges. The reason for that is that allows you to compare impacts where your, um, uh, the, the, the price of the print varies and your income varies and you can exclude because it typically costs the same to create and design something. You mail a hundred thousand pieces as you mail a thousand pieces. Mm-hmm. So you take out that creative completely because it weights more heavily on the low print production side of the festivities. In other yeah. words, your, your creative costs show up bigger at 100 pieces you mailed than it did at 100,000 pieces you mailed. And so the marginal ROI, MROI, allows you to compare those w- without getting into the, the creative cost. It, it, it's less important for most people, but it can be helpful as you're doing comparisons. Yeah, there are times it's helpful. Yeah, yeah. And now do you want to get into donor-related ones? 
Um, sure. Or do you have any before let's do, we go to that? I, let's, do, let's do one more. So response rate is really critical uh, when you're looking at uh, comparing direct mail. And, and that allows, so response rate is how many did you mail, how many people responded, and just, you know, what's your percentage that, that received it re- replied. Um, it is less important than ROI. Mm-hmm. Because it it is it is driven by it's not driven by dollars. A a dollar in the mail is the same as a hundred thousand dollars in the mail. In terms of calculating our response response rate, rate. response rate is how many pieces came back. Well, that's an interesting thing, but if you have the choice, focus on ROI. Sure, because it's 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 harder for you to play games with ROI. Response rates you can play games with, but. There are times we find it helpful when evaluating, uh, I especially look at it when evaluating a singular impact because I can know if the income wasn't great on the impact, yep. um, we'll talk about this at a macro level in a minute, but if the average gift, uh, the average amount that people were giving to that impact also wasn't great and the percent response wasn't great, meaning not a lot of people sent them in. It's kind of a dud. Yeah. Yeah. If two of those were duds, but the percent response was good, then as best we can tell, because there aren't tracking pixels on envelopes in direct mail, if the percent response is high. Your envelope got a good number of people into it. Yeah. And at that point, then the letter is what facilitated the rest of your problems. Yep, yep. And, and that, that's a good thing to, to jump to is to say there are various kinds of, of direct mail and various times of direct mail that are naturally going to respond. So if you're doing new donor acquisition or mm-hmm. lapsed donor reactivation where you're targeting people who aren't donors or you're targeting people who used to give to you but don't give anymore, those will have very different ROI and response rates oh, yeah. than if than a general cultivation. And so track response rate and then know what it was. And many times our pieces for clients will have uh, audiences built into the mm-hmm. impact. We'll have a, a general version. We'll have a major donor, uh, high giver version. We'll have lapsed on a variety of things. And so you have an overall uh, uh, ROI response mm-hmm. rate, the other metrics to it, and then you break it out. The general file did this, the, the high, the, the larger donors, that group responded in these ways. And so you're able to look at, at those pieces by both segment and the type of impact and then the time of year that impact rolled. Yeah, there's a, a lot to look at. Yeah, but we'll uh, dive deeper into that at some point. Okay, because that could be a fun topic. Yeah, yeah, but but it still rolls back to ROI. And so mm-hmm. then I, I guess I want to say last thing on on response rates and ROIs that kind of thing is um, uh, the temptation is to look at one impact and measure and go yep. did that do good and and it's like two weeks out how did that do if it's if it's an email two weeks out is probably good if it's direct mail two weeks out is probably not very good. Uh, two weeks out from an event, depending on how you're cultivating those donors, that may or may not be very good. You know, you just have to you have to know what that is. The very best thing you can do is, in my opinion, 
is, is report and analyze granularly, tiny, as small a chunk as you're able to and is helpful. But your ultimate measure is a year. And then from that year, you look at the logical seasons. For many of our clients, it's... Thanksgiving, yeah, Christmas, exactly. Easter. Exactly. So you look at those, those logical time frames, and you compare that, that chunk to a previous chunk. Don't compare to anybody else's chunks. Because if you do that, that can account for... Oh, uh, all life, the variables. All yeah. the things. Yeah. And if you've got a series of three that you did year over year comparing how those three did right. in a sum right. or in a total that gives you a good idea. And then it can be helpful to look at, okay, well what drove the change? Okay, well let's look at one by one, Yeah, but it's more helpful to say, how did Thanksgiving do versus how did this one Thanksgiving impact? Do? Exactly. All right. So what about digital? What are the key, the, you know, like ROI is, is, a, is a big one. Is ROI, is ROI appropriate for digital? It can be if you can get to it. The issue can be in the for-profit world, it can be really easy to track dollars. But it can be, um, it can be difficult to track dollars digitally from where people came from. Right. Not every platform not every website, not every system, just to, to throw a term, will let you track uh, people gave to this page because they came from an email mm. or people came mm. to this page because they saw something on Facebook, the link, or they saw your Google ad or whatever it was. It can be hard to know where they came from if they gave to this page, which if you don't know where they came from or that you don't know what drove them, you don't know what it cost you to put that thing out that they saw that drove them, which means you don't know the ROI. Uh, so we, in those situations, we just sort of bulk the cost. So it's not a, it's not accurate. You know, I wouldn't, um, not accurate enough for me to, you know, do uh, operation on, mm -hmm. but enough to know if things are working, it's enough to get a temperature and, if on a graph or on a chart, you'd color it a green or yellow or red. Okay. And um, one solution to that, some people have decided, well, we're, we will just make separate landing or giving pages for and eat for the email. That goes out. So for that, it's the a, social. Separate, separate landing page so we can, in we, theory, track We can that, know, right? okay, the only reason they would have come to that page is the only way they could have found it was through the email. So then we can take all those dollars against what it costs to make us through the email. Same for social. But same that gets into else. ROI, the same kind of thing. How much did it cost me to capture it's, that information? It, or right? like an event. Yeah. Okay. Well, go. how much did it cost to have somebody set up all those pages? Right. And then you, you'll have people, especially now as people are more privacy conscious, <laughs> will see your email, love it, be into giving, and they'll pull out their phone or pull out their you know, they'll just type in your URL and go to your site and give a gift. Yeah. Well, that was driven by your email, but they just didn't go the way you wanted them to. So you, cause they get that autofill going on on there. Well, on and, their, and they just, I don't want to, I, I don't click lots of links in my email Yeah, that, because I've lost control on where I'm going. Yeah. All right. So how do, what's the best, what's the best way to know? 
There's really not there. The only good way to know is to first understand what you are and aren't going to know. Okay. That, oh, well that goes back to the your expectation. To ROI. It, it, no house calculated, right? Hmm. No house where this is coming from. And also like in direct mail, look year over year. If you did this before, compare that to now. Right. And if it did better, awesome. If it didn't do as well, try to kind of see why. Did we send it at a different time? Was there not enough uh, accompanying materials? That kind of thing. But the way to fight the difficulty in calculating digital ROI is to keep apples and apples as close as you can. Yeah. And then you at least you at least know, okay, this is all weird, but at least we did better weird this year. <laughs> The weirdness is now is now worse. Okay, would it be fair to say that like uh, ROI and direct mail and events and some other things, you want to not focus on vanity metrics. You want to focus on close to whatever the dollars are if dollars are important to your organization. So you're not tracking mm-hmm. followers or impressions or mm-hmm. eyeballs and, or, oh, you know. Impressions are only helpful because they help you get perspective on a click rate. So if only 1% of people clicked on your ad, well, that sounds really low. But if it was a million people who saw that ad, right? well, 1% is actually, that's a lot of people. And, and if you're only paying for clicks. And if you're only paying for clicks, so this is another thing. If you, if you are paying for an impression, stop. <laughs> And, and, and more to the point, stop using who advised you because most really the only way you can, it's, it's actually even hard to pay Google for impression. You have to purposely say, no, no, I don't want, I want to, I want to do, I want to pay for impression and I get, you know, I get that's not, that's the way you have to do the checkbox. I know Mm -hmm. this is a dumb idea. And because there are reasons you yeah. you want to just raise awareness yeah. so that then when you come with a cost per click, nah. it's going to help. Oh, yeah. But Do there are these it. there are these intermediary companies who will tell you, "I'll go get your ad, your digital ad on the local paper's website." Well, that's a good idea. The local newspaper. So you do give me your ad buy. I'll go spend that money. At the uh, paper, at this local. paper, at this place. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, when someone has been paying for an impression, it has been with one of those intermediary companies yeah. or with the newspaper. Yeah. It's not with Google or Facebook. Yeah. So, and the Google, don't do that. At least the Google, when you buy in the Google network, nine times out of 10, you're getting that. Yeah, you're going to be on that paper anyway. Anyway, yeah. I, it's hard to advertise somewhere Google can't also advertise. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it's really difficult. Yeah. And so don't get fooled by counts. Mm-hmm. And, and it go, so that kind of goes back to the idea of knowing how something's calculated and knowing what is the most important thing out of that. Because otherwise it's just numbers and zeros mm-hmm. and a bunch of digits that may or may not be good. Mm-hmm. And because you're a smart person, If you're listening to us, you're a smart person. And so the more you know about what this number means or how this is calculated, putting that in a real world sense or idea, that will help you understand if that's a helpful metric in this moment. Yeah. And being able to say, well, ROI is that. 
Okay, so ROI is how... What? Okay, so that's the number of dollars... So we're comparing the cost. Okay, so if, if we're if our ROI is a three, that means for every dollar we spent, we got three. Yeah. Okay, and uh, adjusted into those kinds of terms, where you're understanding it, impressions is the great. Okay, so we're paying for people to see our ad on the internet. When you say it out loud, it makes a lot of sense. You'd really prefer to only pay when they click it. Yeah. They got to see it to click it. They got to see it to not click on it. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. So you get them for free. You're getting them either way. Yeah. So don't, uh, don't don't get caught up in the numbers, back them out into something that in, in a real world sentence, you understand what they mean because all of these numbers and we're going to end up, Doing a part two because we're we're going long because we care about these. So we're gonna do. We're I was ones, wondering. We're, if you yeah, were, we're gonna leave some on the table, but yeah. all of these are they're a puzzle piece. Yeah, which is great. You need it to complete a puzzle, but that one puzzle piece doesn't tell you everything around the no. puzzle unless yeah. you're also looking at the pieces around it. Yeah, and you don't want to get you don't want to get into some of the esoteric, cool things that really aren't going to help you if you don't have the early or the, the rudimentary or the foundational things dialed in and solid. Yeah. Well, once you know ROIs, once you know this, what you're talking about on the digital side, once you have those fundamentals in place, then you can, you can begin playing with what we're going to do in part two. Mm-hmm. Then, then you get into some really fun, I'm not going to give it away. Okay. You get to really fun numbers. Well, you got to tease it a little bit. Yeah. These really relate to your donors, your file, this your organizational is, health. This is what's going to make you live forever as an organization. Yeah. This this is how your organization, this is the fountain of youth for your organization. A small organization discovered how to do this and then. And then it got shared with the world. And then. Okay. So next week, we're doing that. Number 28, we'll, we'll do that, on Yeah, that would that. be 28. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'll so that'll out. be the deeper, deeper dive. Mm-hmm. On. It'll okay. be a, a deeper plus different. It'll yeah. be slightly different. Yeah. But a different dive. So next is on your radar. Sorry, Reacher the dog. That's made a quick we got, we got lots of animals. They're checking on us. <laughs> some people, some podcasts have bouncers. <laughs> we have a dog. We have a dog. It's all good. I'd prefer him over a bouncer any day. Um, on your radar is... Articles, things you and I read that think are interesting for other people to read, but they don't always have a direct application to fundraising or marketing. Yeah. Usually tangential. Yeah. Since I've gone first on all these, am I going to go first again? Yeah, go first. Okay. We'll keep it consistent. So I know you're a Peloton family. Yep. And and um, we are a partial Peloton family. Um, Chris is a Pelotoner. Pelotoner? Oh, I don't actually, I don't actually know the term. Uh, Pelotoner. Um, so Peloton had some trouble with their treadmills. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some kids got hurt and I am no Ooh, way wanting yeah. to minimize that because it was kind of tragic. We're just gonna say it was tragic. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I believe this came in, this came in the 17th. So just a few days ago from the founder of Peloton and it's the, it's a message from the co-founder and CEO, a guy named John, I believe it's pronounced Foley. And he talks, he's talking about the Peloton, the new Peloton treadmill that they're coming out with, the Peloton tread. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so interesting um, 
Most organizations, if they've been around a while as a nonprofit, have had a moment of bad PR or press. Uh, we have had clients who have wrestled with a variety of things. All, almost all were blown out of proportion or taken in the wrong way or were completely spurious. Uh, but anyway, these guys... They've had a they've had a really a difficult PR thing, mm -hmm. and and now they've redesigned this treadmill, and they're ready for your money. Incidentally, yeah. Um, uh, this letter never mentions their difficulties, hmm. and in fact, he talks about how transparent they want to be, and they want their hardware to be the best they want to they want to be, and then he says, "Here's the Peloton tread." Um, he's excited about it. And then he talks about that this offers the best experience in the category, best value. And then he gets to integrated safety features, which is what was either real or the perceived difficulty mm -hmm. with the previous. Never mentions their previous problem. Wow. What he does is he say, hey, we're proud. As parents, we're proud. We want safe stuff in our home. He lists four things that are part of this safety. And then he says something I thought was really good. He says, with young children at our home, Jill and I are glad that the Peloton Tread provides everything we need for great and safe total body workouts. This did a really good job of not... It, of just move, you know, of letting that all be in the past. If you knew about it, you know what he's talking about. If you don't know about it, you're not distracted by any no. of that, and you just read this announcement. So my my lesson is, if you're dealing with a difficult thing, there's a point you just mark it and move past it. Uh, unfortunately, I've had some experience helping organizations deal with some bad PR. And internally, the tendency is to wallow in it and apologize for it over and over Forever. and over again. And I am not viewing this from a legal standpoint or even from a classic PR standpoint. I'm just saying from messaging, if, if you have dealt with, you know, God forbid there's litigation or there's... Yeah. If you're dealing with something that you think is out in the public, assume you can just move past it with a strong message that reference takes takes the, the we always talk about there are some things that just require a deft hand and you don't want it to be someone's first time dealing with a PR problem to help <laughs> you with that. Yeah. But I was so intrigued by how these guys did it because I they do great messaging and great marketing, in my opinion. Um, and they just he just did a marvelous job of, of moving through down to including say, if you got questions, here's how to here's how to ask them. So I thought that was interesting. Um, wow. John Foley. And and instantly you you you'll say you know we're a decade and a and a half mm -hmm. as a company and we're older than Peloton yeah not as big as Peloton but we're older slightly so, yeah slightly okay we also are ready to take your money we don't have a treadmill but yeah. I mean yeah, yeah. if you want to give us some money we have children at home yeah we do have children at home yeah. so yeah. there's we have so many things in common with yeah, Peloton that's exactly mine is the BYAF rule. It is not alcohol at a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Um, I read about this. Somebody wrote about it on Inc.com. B-Y-A. Yeah, B-Y-A-F. F. Bring? No. Oh. Um, 
when we get asked for favors, yeah, you, when someone asks you for a favor, you, if you're like me and I think like most of us, which is why this came about, you spend a lot of the time you're either reading the email or listening to them ask the favor, looking, thinking of a way out. And if you do end up doing it, you feel dragged the whole time and you don't feel great about it. And maybe you don't even put your best effort in. It's just not good. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. that favor experience. And then in the future, the BYAF rule is giving someone an out, still asking for the favor, still explaining uh, the lurch you're in or the help you need, you know, whatever your situation is, but saying, but you're free to say no BYAF, but you are free to say no. Oh, just so saying, you actually say that out loud yeah, or imply that. Yeah. Saying, here's my situation. I need, I really need your help. Here's how you specifically could help me because of your skills or blah, blah, blah. But you're free to say no, no worries. That completely just takes the pressure off. Huh? I just thought of you and I know you could help, but you're free to say no, no problem. So then I'm no forward. longer thinking about all of my excuses. I, I can actually listen. And by somebody saying you're free to say no, we sort of want to lean in a little more because they did a hard thing by saying, okay, you're free to say no. I'm, I'm no longer trying to push and pressure you. I'm just relying on my ask in and of itself in your good nature. Oh, I like that a lot. So it's cool. Use some version. You don't literally, you don't always have to say, but you are free because that's not always going to fit, but give people a sincere out and also be sincere about it. If they take you up on it, don't be petulant. And you gave them the out. <laughs> so if you can't live with them saying no, don't give them one. Yeah, don't ask, right? Okay, yeah. Okay. So. Oh, I like that. BYF, but you're free to say no. Don't do it in fundraising, but do it with your internal team. You can do it in fundraising. It's a great way to do it in front fundraising. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I just, it's funnier. Oh, you did say, Yeah. I didn't find that funny. Well, you should have, because okay. that's your that you didn't cue me. You didn't tell me you were going to do that joke. Yeah. Well, they work better if you don't know. Okay. That one didn't. No, well, okay, not all of them. Man. Just <laughs> most of them. They, as a stereotype, my jokes work better if nobody knows they're coming. Well, that aside, <laughs> this was episode 27 of Not Your Father's Fundraising Podcast. On our next episode, we will talk about how hiring a consultant to interface with your existing consultants is counterintuitively effective. Oh, that's a great, sort of a consultant wrangler. It's a consultant to your consultants. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So it works. We're available. Well, yeah, we're available. Operators are standing by. Or if they want us to fire their consultants, we'd jump in and do that. We, yeah, could we could awesome. also do that. That would also be very effective and easy for yeah. us to do. Flat rate. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. I'm Ryan Thomas. I'm Steve Thomas. Thanks for listening. We're so glad you were with us. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Not Your Father's Fundraising Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. Tune back in next week for another fresh episode of Not Your Father's Fundraising Podcast.